Well, if you've got your Bibles, I do want to invite you to go to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, and as Jeff said, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Counterfeit. And I think we've all gotten used to uh, scam artists and frauds and uh, all the uh, things out there uh, vying for our attention and scamming us. In fact, this past week, uh, I learned that in 2020, it was one of the worst years as far as fraud goes in the United States. 2.2 million people uh, filed a claim with the FTC, uh, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, for some kind of fraud in their lives, and they, they think it's around the tune of uh, $4 billion. But what we also know about fraud today is uh, many people never report their fraud because they're embarrassed, they're ashamed, they got scammed, right? And these are smart people, these are educated, uh, these these are people who are like, yeah, that could never happen to me. I, I'm too smart. I'm too clever. Uh, they call me on the phone and they're like, hey, can you verify your social security number? And they're like, nah, I'm, I'm not going to fall for that one. Or maybe you get a text saying, hey, your bank account's been hacked. Um, you want to just verify your bank account so we can make sure that uh, you're good to go? Uh, you ever gotten one of those? Uh, or, or maybe uh, you've uh, gotten a, a, a phone call and somebody says, hey, um, can you just verify um, uh, uh, all your personal information, including your social security number? Or have you ever gotten the email from the Nigerian prince who's, you know, loaded? And uh, if you just send a few thousand dollars, they promise to give you a couple million dollars to just kind of help bail them out a little bit. I mean, these things are around, right? And most of us are like, yeah, I could never fall for that. But the reality is, uh, so many Americans uh, fall for the frauds, the scams, because they're good, right? There are some really clever folks out there. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine, uh, she was scammed out of almost $10,000 uh, because these people are so good. They're so clever. And the thing about uh, counterfeits or scammers or uh, people who grift uh, off of us is that they always use a kernel of truth. And they take just a small little piece of what is true and they twist it and turn it. And then all of a sudden we're pretty confused and we think to ourselves, well, this sounds real. This sounds legit. This, th this might be, okay, here's my social security number. Here's my bank account information. Because it sounds so real. But of course, it's a counterfeit. It's a lie. It's a way to scam us. And we spend an incredible amount of time trying to get our identity fixed or our credit uh, back on track. We just sit on the phone just trying to sort it all out, and, and it's so aggravating. And of course, um, many people lose um, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. It happens. And the truth is, these scams, these counterfeits, they're just not out in the world. That's not the only place they are. But the counterfeits are also in the church. And we know this because we hear about it, we read about it, we see about it. And we need to be careful. And Jesus even warned us about these counterfeits. 
in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says about those who are uh, promoting uh, counterfeit teachings. He says, false teachers, they are disguised like harmless sheep. Harmless sheep. But in reality, they are vicious wolves. Jesus tells us straight up, they look so innocent, but be careful. Because in reality, they are like vicious wolves. And it's not just the teachers, the scam artists in the church. But it's the Christians, the people who call themselves Jesus followers. Because we too, each one of us is going to be held accountable as followers of Jesus Christ. And a little bit later in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this is what he says. Not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And of course, a lot of people today call themselves Christians. And it's not up to you and to me to decide who's a Christian and who isn't. But God is. That's his job. And he tells us straight up, you can call yourself a Christian. You can think that you're a Christian, a Jesus follower. But not everyone will enter the kingdom of God. And I think for all of us, this ought to just invite us to lean in a little bit. Lean into this sermon series. This is why we're doing this sermon series called Counterfeit. Because Jesus was dead serious about how important this is. We've got to pay attention to the heresies, the false teachings, and the heretics, the false teachers. We can't just, you know, just say, well, it's not really a big deal. Jesus says, no, it's a big deal. Because the consequences are adrift in your relationship with God. And it's oftentimes a gradual drift over time. And even worse is being separated from God from, for all of eternity. So we've got to pay attention. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at a couple of these heresies. And we started with this idea of Pelagianism. And if you've been here, you know that Pelagianism is all about works salvation. Because God, does, God needs our help, right? We think that God needs our help. Oh, we understand, saved by grace through faith. But we think, oh, I'm, I'm going to give God just a little more help because he needs my help. I want to play my part. And then we move to antinomianism. And that, of course, is the idea where we, we minimize what sin does to our lives, or we even deny that sin separates us. Sin leads to death. And those, of, those who buy into this false teaching, this heresy of antinomianism, it's, it's the mantra is simply this, I'm saved by grace through faith. Now I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live however I want because we're going to get rid of the law. It's a heresy, of course. We've got to pay attention to it. And then last weekend, Kendall Oliver shared with us a little bit about the heresy of open canon. And the idea is simply this. Hey, the Bible's awesome. I love the Bible. But I think there's some other pretty good books out there that we might even want to treat as holy books. Books like, I don't know, First and Second Maccabees. Maybe books like uh, the Book of Mormon. You know, these extra-biblical books that talk about God and Jesus, and you read them and you're like, huh, I wonder. 
Is there something to this? And so today, we're going to continue our sermon series looking at another heresy. And this one is a little bit unique. It's different uh, than all the other heresies, but it's every bit as subtle. It's every bit as sly. Today we're going to look at the heresy of docetism. The heresy of docetism. And most of you are like, the what? And most of us know this heresy more by the the name we give it today. We, We think of it as New Age Philosophy. New Age philosophy or, or New Age teaching, and it's rooted in the ancient teachings of Gnosticism. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day you've given to us. For the sun, for the wind, God, for your word, and for your people gathered together in this place, in your beautiful, amazing sanctuary. And God, those who are joining us online from their homes or different places around the United States. God, as we open your word this morning, encourage us, speak to us, challenge us. Help us, Lord, to walk deeper with you as we consider all you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of my favorite people uh, in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. I loved how Paul was just so passionate uh, for teaching God's Word. Paul could not stop talking about Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Paul was one of the extraordinary people, the leaders in the early church, and he would stand before crowds, he would stand before groups of people, and he would tell people and teach people and instruct people in God's Word. But Paul didn't just stop there. Paul also invested in individuals. He poured into and discipled individuals because Paul knew that at some point in time, he was going to have to pass off the keys to the church to the next generation. And so Paul sought out several young people. He said, hey, would you follow me and be my disciple? I want to teach you about Jesus Christ. I want to teach you to be a leader in the church. And so that's what Paul did. And you guys know all about this, right? Because we've been doing this here at Faith Lutheran last weekend. This is why we invited invited Kendall uh, and Emily Oliver last weekend to come and be among us. Young, vibrant leaders in the life of the church pouring into them. And Kendall stood at the pulpit and preached God's word to all of us. And you all were such an encouragement to him. That's why we did what we did last weekend. And then about a month ago, Palm Sunday, we invited Liam to come on up here and, and preach from, uh, from the, uh, the, the, the pulpit and share God's word with us. That wasn't an accident. We are doing this on purpose. Because like the Apostle Paul, we have got to be pouring into the next generation of young leaders. Here's a little tip for you, a little secret for you. I'm not always going to be the pastor of this church. And you're not always going to be the people of this church, the leaders of this church. We're all moving on. At some point in time, we are all going to be tulip fertilizer. You get that, right? We have got to be preparing the next generation to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we pour into people like uh, Liam and Kendall 
We continue to be on the lookout for more young people. If you're a young person, Ellie, you're going to be preaching in a couple weeks. That's what Paul did. He sought people out and he poured into them. And so one of the young people that Paul poured into was a guy by the name of Timothy. Timothy was an intern. He was a young guy. He was a novice. He was new at this whole church leadership thing. Paul says, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to help you to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be a leader in the church. Now, fortunately, we've got a couple of Paul's teachings to Timothy, a couple of letters of correspondence to Timothy to encourage him, to help him to understand what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how do we lead in the church and how do we make the gospel known to the nations and to the world? And Timothy's like, all right, Paul, tell me what I need to know. And if you've never read uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy, these letters written from Paul to Timothy, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff about what the call is on your life and my life to carry the gospel into the world. And so this morning, we're going to just hit a short piece of this teaching. We're going to look at 2nd Timothy, uh, beginning uh, with chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Don't beat them over the head with the Bible. Patience, careful instruction. For the time will come when people, people in the church, not people out there, people in the church, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Timothy lays this out so beautifully. The challenge that you and I face. How do we proclaim God's word in the world? Because there's a great tension going on. There's the tension of the truth of the gospel and the the noise, the messages that we hear going on in the world. There's the truth of God's word and then there's the reality of how I feel. There's the truth of what God wants to say to us, but then there's the reality of what I think and what I hear other people saying. How do we live in that tension where we feel like we're being pulled in two directions? We know we want to follow God and God's word, but the voices, the messages of the world are also so strong. And inside... We want to do what we want to do, right? Because let's be honest, what's in the Bible, we're reading along, we come to different passages and we think to ourselves, I don't like that. That's not very convenient. That's not very comfortable. And so we live in this tension. You know, you maybe know this, uh, Thomas Jefferson He struggled with this tension. Thomas Jefferson, uh, one of the founding fathers of our nation, he read the Bible. 
But the problem is Jefferson was going along reading the Bible as he saw so many things that he didn't like in the Bible. So many things that were inconvenient. So many things that just didn't settle with him. And so Thomas Jefferson got out a pair of scissors and he cut out all the parts that he didn't like. It's called the Jefferson Bible. It's really thin. You know, if, if you do that, it's, you, you get down to just what you like. That's true. Thomas Jefferson did that. And if we're honest, too often that's what we do as well. Maybe not with the scissors, but we just brush off the parts that we don't like, the parts that are inconvenient. You know, I just want to say uh, this is one of the reasons um, why I don't preach uh, very often from the Revised Common Lectionary. Now, those of you who have been around the church for a while, you know what the Revised Common Lectionary is. Uh, if you haven't been around, let me give it to you real briefly. A, a group of scholars got together and they said, we're going to go through the Bible in a three-year cycle and we're going to give you the, the top passages of the Bible that you need to know about. The most important parts of the Bible. You're going to go through those over a three-year cycle, A, B, and C. And after you get through C, you're going to cycle back to... Uh, to A. And so if you've been in one of those churches, many mainline denominations preach through the lectionary. What you're going to hear is the same passages over and over and over. What those churches don't tell you, what those teachers do not tell you, is that they avoid most of the really difficult, uncomfortable passages of Scripture. In fact, if you were to go to church every single Sunday for three years in a row and listened to all the scripture texts of the lectionary, you would miss almost 90% of the Old Testament. And you would miss nearly 50% of the New Testament. Think about that, folks. What if I said to you, hey, um, this, this year... New rules, new laws. You only need to follow 10% of the rules, the laws, when you're out driving. Just ignore 90% of the laws when you're driving. I mean, some of you would like that, right? But the rest of us, not so much. Or what if I said to you, hey, this next year, instead of paying all of your taxes, just pay 50% of your taxes. And some of you are like, that's awesome! But we wouldn't collect very much money either, right? So we want those rules, those laws for other people. We just don't want them to apply to us. I don't think any of us would be okay editing out the laws of the land just on our own unilaterally. So why are we okay editing out 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament? Why do we do that? Because it's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. And some of it's just really tough to get through. And those of you who are reading through the Bible cover to cover, you know this. There's a lot of it that's offensive. It's pretty horrible. A lot of things in Scripture make our minds go, what in the world is going on? Fingers chopped off, eyes gouged out, right? If you're caught up on your reading. Do you know Samson's eyes were gouged out? Isn't that awesome? You should read the Bible. There's a lot of interesting stuff in here. A lot of violence. 
but it causes us to question. And I think too often in the life of the church, smart people, theologians think, the people in the pew, they're not smart enough to get it. So we're going to cut out 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament. Just listen to us. We're going to tell you what you really need to know. See, this heresy that we're looking at today called docetism, it's not so much what's taught in the life of the church. In fact, I don't know any church today that says docetism, this is what it is and this is what we're going to be about. The problem with docetism is the idea of what is omitted, about what is never spoken of. It's a sin of omission. So let's spend a little bit of time uh, talking about docetism. Docetism, for those maybe who've uh, studied it a little bit, it's just a Greek word, like oftentimes just a Greek word. But it's actually an ancient heresy. And docetism means seems like. And the idea behind docetism is that Jesus Christ, they look into it and lock into this idea, this, this Gnostic idea that God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus over and over said, I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. And the docetist teachers say, he said he's God. So if he's God, if he's fully God, he can't also be fully human. It comes from this Gnostic idea, this Gnostic philosophy of the separation uh, between the sacred and the secular. And anything that's heavenly is wonderful and good. And anything of this earth and physical is bad. And so the Gnostic idea, the whole idea behind living as a Gnostic philosopher, as a Gnostic thinker, is we got to escape. Hit the eject button. We got to get out of this world. And there is no connection between the sacred and the secular. And so for the Gnostic thinker, when they hear about this docetic teaching, they think to themselves, that's awesome. Jesus is God. But if he is God, he cannot be a human being. Because everything in this world is bad. Everything physical is bad. For God to come to this world means that God would get polluted. And God, we all know that God lives in the heavenly realms. And so they deny the humanity of Jesus Christ. That's the heresy right there. And we go to church and we think, hey, you know, I get it. I understand they're celebrating the, the, the deity of Jesus. The fact that he's God, that's a good thing, right? But remember, this is what a heresy is. This is what a heresy does. This is what a counterfeit does. Is they take a kernel of truth that Jesus is God. He claims to be God. And they twist it and they ignore his entire humanity. They say, no way. No way could Jesus Christ have been a human being. He is docetic. He just looks like it appears. He's, he's like a hologram. Jesus is like a ghost. He's not, he doesn't really have a physical body. God just sent down this hologram to stand out here and do some teaching and, and interact with people. That's what this heresy is all about. It's, it's this complete denial. And, and you might be thinking, so what's the big deal? Why is that a problem? We have to understand 
that the entire premise of Christianity is that God came from heaven to earth in the form of a human being with skin, listening to the birds, eating meals with his friends, spitting on the ground. Remember that? Sleeping, taking a nap when he was tired, being fearful at times when things were going on. We even read in scripture that one day when Jesus was so sad that he wept. And the docetists, they completely deny the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now you think about this for just a moment. If Jesus never lived like you and I are human beings on this earth, then he never could have died either, right? And if Jesus never died, he could never take our sins down to hell with him because he never lived. And if Jesus never lived in a human body, then he could never raise from the grave either, right? If Jesus was not a human being like you and me, it's like the hologram was standing out there doing what holograms do. One day, God flipped off the switch. He disappeared. Three days later, God says, I think I've given him enough time. I'm going to turn the switch back on. The electricity, the light, so the hologram comes back on. It's an illusion. See, the truth is, if Jesus Christ was just an illusion in human body, then our redemption is also an illusion. If Jesus did not live in physical form like you and me, we're all dead in our sin. There is no rescue. In order for us to be rescued from our sin, someone had to die. Someone had to take our sins. A ghost couldn't do it. An apparition couldn't do it. A hologram couldn't do it. It had to be the person of Jesus Christ. So if you take away the humanity of Jesus Christ... Christianity is like a house of cards. Everything falls apart. That's why it's a big deal. That's why it matters so much. And so here's, you're, you're probably sitting here thinking, okay, so nobody teaches this in the church. It's a good idea. Jesus is full, fully human. What's the big deal? The big deal is this. What happens in individual lives, and I hear this all the time, folks, this is not made up, when people don't feel like Jesus is close to them. We feel like God is just somewhere out there. God is silent. God isn't talking to me. God is not with me. Anybody ever felt like that before? been tempted to be a docetist because a docetist denies the reality of Jesus Christ in bodily form. We all get tempted. Although it's not a, an official teaching of any church that I'm aware of, we all experience this heresy in one shape or another. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal if we, um, you know, on occasion deny that Jesus Christ lived in bodily form? That he's just God somewhere up in the sky? Well, it leads to new age thinking. It need, leads to new age living. 
it leads to new age behaviors. Because if we don't feel close to Jesus, then we start looking somewhere else for God. We start looking somewhere else to experience the divine. And that, of course, is what New Age thinking is. Again, it goes back to this ancient philosophy of Gnosticism. Everything on earth is bad. Everything in the heavenly realms is good. And so we start looking up to the skies, to the heavenly realms, and we start grasping for any deity, any spiritual power out there where we can feel the forces of the world. And maybe you know people like this. Oftentimes they'll say something like, I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious. You ever heard that one before? I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious. Which means I'm in tune with the universe, the powers of the universe. I just don't think it's worth going to church on Sunday. I'm in tune with the divine powers all around I just don't gather together with a group of friends and read and study the Bible. That's too limiting. That's too narrow. That's too focused. I'm in tune with all the wind, and the sun, and the water. And we're all just one power moving through the universe. I don't have time to join a church. Why would I do that? That's so narrow-minded, Right? The new age is all about being open and free and and do whatever you want. I do what I do. You do what you do. We're just not going to judge each other, but we're all one with the universe. Peace, harmony. Doesn't it feel good? I'm at one with the world. Just don't call me religious. Too narrow, too focused, too constrained. And this is the great danger of docetism, of the New Age movement. It's the denial that Jesus Christ came into this world as a human being like you and me. He felt the wind, he felt the waves, he felt the sun, he hugged his friends, they cried together, they laughed together, they went camping together, they did all sorts of remarkable things together. And then on, he died on that good Friday. Three days later, he rose from the grave. No hologram, no ghosts, fully bodily, Jesus Christ. And because he rose from the grave, death has been defeated. Because he rose from the grave, we can live with Jesus today and for all eternity. And that's the good news for us as Christ followers who are sitting here this morning or joining online. And I think the great temptation, anytime you hear a sermon, hear a message like this, is, man, I really want to share this sermon with um, my liberal uncle. He really needs to hear because he's into some really weird new age stuff, right? But the reality is, All of us struggle with heresy. All of us struggle with these false teachings. It's not so much about all those heretics out there. What I want you to hear this morning is the question is, where is the heretic in you? 
Where is the person in each one of you that is just embracing a little bit of false teaching? Because there's a little bit of heretic in all of us. And we need to be careful. We need to be paying attention to God's word. Because all of us, we have a tendency, even those of you who read the Bible regularly, we have a tendency, much like uh, the ancients, to do it in a very uh, editorial way. We do it in a way where we pick and choose the things we like and we don't like. Some of you might be sitting here this morning and saying, you know, I know what the Bible says about relationships, healthy relationships, but, but the Bible doesn't understand my circumstance. I know what the Bible says about money and how we ought to give 10%, our first 10% back to God, but the Bible does not understand. I've got student loans. I've got debt. I've got issues that need to be taken care of. The Bible says lots of things about forgiveness. The Bible doesn't understand what she did to me. Doesn't get it. I mean, you hear where I'm going with this, folks? We all have some heretic in us. We are all tempted to edit the scriptures like Thomas Jefferson. And we need to be honest about it. And this is why we're reading through the Bible together uh, this year, cover to cover. This is why we're spending so much time talking about uh, the, the story of God, long story short. And this is why we're talking about the false teachings in the life of the church and how so many people live their lives uh, with a lie. We got to talk about these things, the hard things, the uncomfortable things. I've gone to some of your homes and some of you have about pulled your hair out, shaking your Bibles at me saying, I don't like this. I don't understand this. What was wrong with those people? I know. Really inconvenient, really uncomfortable, really different than how we live today, right? But this is the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to be a church that stands into God's word and wrestle through the hard texts. And, and as Paul says to Timothy, we're going to do it with forgiveness and patience and love. And we're just going to walk this journey together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, God, we thank you for uh, what a remarkable teacher uh, the Apostle Paul was. God, we also want to thank you for uh, young Timothy, that intern uh, who, who you were training uh, long, long ago. And we continue to get to listen into uh, the conversations uh, between Paul and Timothy. God, we thank you for the ways in which you're moving in the life of our congregation. The ways, God, in which you are calling us out on our own heresies. The false teachings. The church. But God, maybe even more importantly this morning, the false teachings that live in our hearts. The lies that we believe, God. The lies that Satan has sown in our hearts to confuse us. God, we know, as Jesus said, that when we believe those lies, we drift from you. Our relationship suffers with you. And God, you even say it. Not everyone's going to enter the kingdom of God. 
Those are hard words. I don't want to preach those words. But they're your words. So give us great humility, Lord. Give us the ability to recognize our shortcomings. Convict us, God, of the ways in which we are sinful, and we need to repent of our own heresies. God, help us to love others who are wrestling through their heresies. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.